Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right, so today we're going to begin the story of Ruth. So in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died. Bump, bump, bump. <laughs> This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Poor Naomi. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "'Go back to your mother's homes.'" And may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you and to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, He said nothing, she said nothing more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. When you've known someone for over 20 years, you can give them all of the really hard to pronounce things. So thanks, Justin. When I was young, um, around Huck, my youngest son's age, uh, my family uh, lived in England for a summer because my dad was working at a camp. And one of the things that I remember most clearly about that trip is that uh, uh, 
while we were there, we bought a book on tape in London of The Secret Garden, the book The Secret Garden. Are you aware of it? Okay. Um, great book. Um, and, and then we, we listened to it for what felt like a billion hours as we drove around England. Honestly, we probably never drove more than like two hours, but you know when you're a kid and every car trip feels like it's a billion hours. Um, also, I should probably do a side note. Uh, book on tape, for those of you who don't know what it is, is like audible in the olden days. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're, if, if you just got sad with olden days, well, sorry, we're old. Um, Okay, so uh, any Audible users in the room? Do people listen? Okay, I like it. I like it too. Um, here's what I like better. That trip, what happened is it ruined me because, the, uh, because we bought the book on tape in England. It was a woman with a British accent reading a book. And now I only want people with British accents to read me books. It's better, right? Anyone? It's just, it's so much uh, better. Um, it also couldn't hurt that The Secret Garden is a really great story. Um, and that as a British wo woman read to me about uh, traveling over British moors in the book, we were literally traveling over British moors uh, in our car with my dad trying to drive uh, in England. I don't know if you've ever ridden with him in America, but I won't say more about that. But... Woo. Okay, um, all that said, um, I think, when I think back to when I fell in love with stories, uh, I think back to these moments. I think back to being in a car in England, listening to The Secret Garden. Um, I, I think that that's where I fell in love with stories. That book, the way the car felt, the way my imagination would run off as I listened, um, I... I like one of the ways I describe myself is that I'm a lover of story. And so to me, from my best memory, that love, that's the first time I remember, like I, maybe I could point back to this was the moment. This is when I fell in love uh, with stories, um, which is why I've been so, so, so excited for, I'm not always excited for Lent, um, but, but I've been so excited this year because uh, here at the Vineyard for the season of Lent, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. And while the book of Ruth is a lot of things, um, it is one, one of the things that it is, is that it is a very, very good story, like a really good story. It's a great one. Um, so here's my hope. During the Lenten season, the days between now uh, leading up to Easter, is during Lent we try to simplify our lives. We try to shed some of the distractions and comforts of our days. Um, but it's also a good practice in Lent to take up something that stirs your affection for Jesus. We don't just give up things. It's also a good practice to take up things. And so um, here's my ask. Sometime between now and Easter, will you read the book of Ruth? Will you read it with us? We're going to look at it week by week, chapter by chapter. There's four chapters, so for the month of March, it will be chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four over the next four weeks. Um, but I'm hoping, and I'm hoping you'll follow along with us, that as we talk about chapter one, that you'll read chapter one and, and those things. But um, will you also do this? Will you set aside time sometime in the next 40 days uh, to read the entire book, like start to finish, um, which may seem daunting, but honestly, it will take you 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending on your reading speed. Um, you could probably find a British woman to read it to you, honestly, and I think you should. I think it would be great. But will you read the whole thing? Um, because um, I, I think it's meant to be read in its entirety. I think it's, uh, that while we're going to look at it piece by piece, that's a good way to do it. I think the book of Ruth finds some really true beauty and meaning uh, in one sitting, one chunk, maybe just like once a week, read through the whole book. Um, Ruth is uh, uh, it, what in Jewish tradition is called a midrash, uh, which 
we're coming off a, season, or a series on parables, um, and so that kind of sets us up really well for this because a midrash is similar to a parable. The rabbis, uh, they use midrash much like Jesus used parables. They use them as teaching tools in order um, to, in narrative form, explain something bigger and wider uh, than just a story, something like questions about theology or ethics or things like that. And and this matters because uh, from a language perspective, you guys know that I'm a, a word geek. Um, it, from a language perspective, Ruth is a particularly fascinating midrash. So in the uh, collection of stories in the Old Testament, it, it does stand a little bit distinct. Um, I read a rabbi this week who noted that Ruth doesn't follow a typical format uh, because we don't see the things that we normally see in other uh, stories in the Old Testament. We don't see any rules about uh, living, about cleanliness, about uncleanliness, about what's prohibited, what's um, per, what permission, things like that. The rabbi noted that Ruth is um, a distinct book because it is a book simply written about loving kindness. That's what makes it distinct. The lesson of Ruth is not so much about do this or don't do this or eat this or don't eat this or go here or don't go here. The lesson of Ruth is simply, uh, spoiler alert, a lesson about loving kindness. The rabbi that I read called it loving kindness, the great reward of Ruth, is that as we read it, that's the jewel that, that rises uh, to the surface. That's why we titled the series Loving Kindness. Um, and so that's going to be the lens that we use to look at this book uh, over the next few weeks, the lens of the loving kindness of God. That's, that's really how we'll look at it. The, the Hebrew word for loving kindness is uh, hesed. It's actually, I think, like hesed, like you're supposed to, but I already coughed too much on stage, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pronounce it hesed, uh, but imagine it in a way cooler, I don't know accent. Um, so while has said the word only shows up three times in the book of Ruth, um, it is according to the rabbis what the entire book is about. Uh, hesed shows up as a word 246 times in the Old Testament, and then um, some Greek equivalents show up over 200 times in the New Testament. Uh, in Bible terms, hesed is an incredibly important word and an incredibly important concept. But in English terms, it's almost impossible to define. We're using loving kindness, but really, truly, it is an incredibly difficult uh, and almost impossible to define word. It, like so much of the Christian faith, uh, is a beautiful and life-changing mystery. Even the word is a mystery. In fact, um, we won't even be able to fully define it today. We're going to spend the next five weeks trying to just define the word in lots of cases. Um, but, uh, and, and trying to carefully define it. But there's a guy named Michael Card, if you are from the olden days that I talked about earlier and we're in the church. He used to write a lot of songs that you sang in church. You might know him from that. But he wrote a book um, that would be a great resource. Some of you, um, I love to give you resources and you love uh, uh, to get them. And so this would be a great resource. It's, uh, we'll share it on social media, but it's called Inexpressible said and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness by Michael Card. But in this book, he suggests that in order to understand the idea of said, we have to stop looking for one literal English word equivalent and instead see that said is the key that can open a door into an entire world, the world of God's own heart and the world of God's own loving. 
uh, has said it's some sort of combination of words like love and mercy and kindness and benevolence. But at the same time, it's those words, it's also drenched in a timeline of constant and never-ending loyalty. Uh, one Hebrew uh, writer uh, described the word said he defined it as more than enoughness. I love that. It is mercy and kindness and benevolence and generosity and loyalty to someone in a greater capacity than they deserve with a timeline longer than it could ever be earned or deserved. It is more than enoughness. Essentially, Hesed is the key that opens up the more than enoughness of the loving kindness of God's own heart to us. And so I want us to look at the story of the book of Ruth as if it might be full of clues, not just about an amazing woman named Ruth and her family, but also uh, it will point us to, I think, in greater and deeper ways, the loyal, loving kindness of God. And my other hope is that as we intersect with clues about the hesed of God, that we would also be able to see that activity in our own lives, not just like as a wider view of gratitude to God for how much he loves us, but that it will translate into an imagination for us for how we can walk out hesed and live out the hesed love that we've been given in order to give it to other people. So let's jump in to Ruth chapter one. Uh, we have a couple uh, named Naomi and Elimelech. Thank you, Justin, for teaching me how to pronounce all these. Um, we have a couple named Naomi and Elimelech, and they have fled their home country because of a famine, and they have come to live in the country of Moab. Um, and they're living in Moab to do as, uh, there's a theologian I love named Campbell Morgan. He says they moved to Moab to find bread and to avoid trouble, simply said. Uh, and they seem to build a life there. They seem to build a life in this new land. Um, they, uh, their sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Um, if Orpah sounds like Oprah to you, that's because legend, a.k.a. Google, uh, has it that, <laughs> are there legends anywhere? I think there's just Google. Um, that Oprah's mom actually named her Orpah, and that's what's on her birth certificate, but no one pronounced it correctly, and they said Oprah. So, Either one. We'll use them interchangeably. Um, but, okay, so not only does Naomi's uh, husband, Elimelech, die, uh, what we find in the beginning of Ruth is that so do her sons, Malan and Killian. And so the book of Ruth uh, begins with the story of Naomi all alone. Culturally speaking, uh, these deaths leave Naomi honestly bigger than alone. Um, Naomi is not just alone, she's powerless, uh, th I learned this this week, and I didn't know this. In Hebrew language, the root word of the Hebrew word for widow is actually translated in English, mute. Isn't that fascinating? It means silent or unable to speak. That's what widow means. Alongside the death of the men in her life, Naomi's voice also dies. Her power also dies. Her value also dies because as a woman in her culture, she had no worth outside of the men in her life. In her life. Uh, because you cannot have any social power or economic power or cultural power when you are silent and seen without having any worth or value. And then the same is true for Ruth and Orpah who are in a similar state. No men. No value, no husbands. I think it's also to, important to note that uh, the scripture tells us they'd been married for 10 years. In 10 years, they also had no sons. Another level of alone, another level of powerlessness. Uh, Lent as a season is a wilderness season in the church. Ruth is a wilderness book. 
We start out uh, in the wild. We find these women in a wilderness full of famine and fear and death and infertility. And some of you can relate to some of those uh, on all kinds of levels, some of these places of wilderness. And so it's within that, within fear, uh, within uh, disempowerment, within famine, within uh, death, within infertility, that, uh, that, that it, within this wilderness situation that we see the word has said uh, for the first time. Uh, Naomi has heard that there's food in her hometown of Bethlehem. And so uh, the three women take off on a journey and they're going to go from Moab around the Dead Sea over to Bethlehem um, to find food. Then on the journey, Naomi stops and she says to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness, your hesed, to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Turn around, she says. Go back to your home where there is still a chance that you might find some worth, that you might uh, become a woman of value, a woman with future. Go back. Go back. And Ruth, uh, it's important to note that Ruth and Orpah were technically Naomi's property. Uh, when uh, they married her sons, uh, they had been purchased through a marriage contract. And so they were legally bound to Naomi. This is why they were with her, because they were legally bound uh, to be with her. But in this quiet move of great power, Naomi honors their love by setting them free. She honors these women who loved her sons, uh, who were men outside of, of their homeland with mercy and loyalty. And so in an act of mercy and compassion and loving kindness, in an act of hesed, she uses her last bit of authority left in her life and she sets them free to go home to flourish. This is a major theme of hesed all throughout the scriptures. It's the kind of love that uses its fervency for hope and its fervency for flourishing uh, for someone else. Naomi uh, knows how life will be for these women if they keep walking toward Bethlehem and she loves them greater than whatever law bound her to them. And so she, she loves them. She wants to, them to flourish and so she sets them free. Uh, their, their flourishing was more important to her uh, than the only two things she has left in the world. This is a big thing she's doing. And after a bit of arguing back and forth, and the Bible tells us tears and hugs, uh, Orpah returns to Moab while Ruth clings to Naomi. Two different paths. Oprah goes back home and Ruth clings to Naomi. It's important to note that what Oprah does, or Oprah, I'm going to do it this whole time. Luckily, Oprah's done after this lesson, but I mean, not for her, but like for us. Um, anyway, uh, what Oprah does here is not wrong. And that's important for us to know. They're given an option. They're offered freedom and Orpah takes it. That is not wrong. It's sensible. It's in a lot of ways wise. Uh, by turning around, Orpah accepts the hesed of Naomi. She accepts her sacrifice, the release that she didn't legally deserve. And then she leaves in tears. I think um, her tears are like this promise that she will live her life in the gratitude and uh, mercy uh, for the act of mercy and sacrifice, the kind of loyalty that allows room for freedom and flourishing. What she does is not wrong. But Ruth takes another path. 
two options, both of them okay. Ruth takes another path. Uh, In our story, Naomi begs her to follow Orpah, but Ruth refuses, and there's some back and forth. And finally, Ruth replies to Naomi with some of the most beautiful sentences I think that have ever been strung together ever. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth uh, offers Naomi a single gift as they walk into the instability of the wilderness together. Ruth offers Naomi herself. That's all. I think there's a word uh, in that for us. I think sometimes um, what people need from us when they are in the wilderness uh, is not so much or in a season of instability is uh, this very thing. Uh, Not so much all of our answers or all of our fixing. I think a lot of times what people need most from us is our presence. What they need is the kind of presence that doesn't give up on them just because they're in the wilderness or just because things are unstable. Uh, What Ruth offered Naomi was not a fix to her problem. Uh, She actually kind of created more of a problem. Ruth is another mouth to feed uh, for Naomi. Ruth, she couldn't bring back Naomi's husband or bring back her son. Uh, She simply offers her presence into the wilderness as one sojourner uh, to another. Uh, The truth is the uh, hesed and the presence of Ruth uh, does change things for Naomi as the story continues. It turns into empowering and rescue, but that comes later. In this moment, when they stand at a crossway of this kind, of going this way or that way, Ruth, with an overflow of loving kindness, simply offers her presence, her loyalty, her love. That's all she has to give, and she gives it. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Ruth uh, doesn't just acknowledge uh, Naomi's sacrifice with gratitude, which again is a good thing. What Ruth does here is to receive the hesed of Naomi and then return it back to her. Receive the hesed and turn it back to her. The loving kindness of Naomi uh, takes root inside Ruth and it leads her to do the very thing her mother-in-law has just done for her. For Ruth, uh, being shown mercy leads to mercy. Being shown compassion leads to compassion. Being offered loving kindness overflows into loving kindness. Um, as I've been studying for today, I was just like so moved by the idea that God uh, desires response from us to his loving kindness and that, that it's so similar to what we see in Ruth here. That, that God's hope for us uh, might be that we would respond to his hesed love with maybe infinitely smaller and yet still indescribable expressions of our own hesed, our own loving kindness. In fact, I would argue that's how the kingdom comes to the world. That's how it comes to the world when we love others out of the overflow of love for us. John, uh, 1 John 4 tells us that God's love finds its most full expression in the world when we love others out of his overflow of love for us. That's how the kingdom finds its full expression in the world that when mercy shown to us overflows into mercy for others, when compassion uh, turns into compassion, grace to grace, when the more than enoughness of the loving kindness of God turns into a loving kindness for others, that is what changes the world. That's how the kingdom finds its full expression of love. 
Um, Here's an example. A few years ago, uh, Josh uh, Armstrong, who's our in-house missionary, uh, he lives here, and then we send him all over the world. Um, he expanded his ministry. He had lived in Haiti and started tons of churches in Haiti, and um, and he expanded his ministry from Haiti to the Ivory Coast of Africa and in, in West Africa, and it's been amazing. Like legitimately, thousands of people are being baptized and set free from oppression because of this work in Africa. It's 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 really pretty incredible. Like. Um, Uh, There are people who watch Josh who say one million people will meet Jesus because Josh showed up in Africa. That's not, I mean, Josh is wonderful. That's not because Josh, just the Holy Spirit's doing amazing things in this work. And so it's incredible. But the story behind it, I love almost as much as what's happening. Um, The idea came to Josh. Josh was kind of ready for his next project. And the way he got the idea to go to West Africa is through some of his buddies in Haiti who, because of their experience of the hesed of Jesus, the loving kindness of God, they wanted to take what was overflowing out of them back to the land of their ancestry. The roots of many Haitians come from the slavery trade of West Africa, and specifically a place called Cote d'Ivoire. And so Josh's Haitian ministry leaders started to dream about what it might look like to take the loving kindness of God that they had experienced and that had changed their lives and take it back to the place where their roots are, to take it back to the place that they came from. And so seven years ago, Josh and one of his best friends, a Haitian man named Gabriel, went to the Ivory Coast together to bring the loving kindness of God to an almost 100% Muslim people. And now thousands of people are being baptized, thousands in seven years, because an American man and a Haitian man uh, showed up with the hesed of God overflowing into the hesed of others. Uh, sometimes the loving godness of God dares us to go back where we came from with a curious mercy and compassion and hope for what could be there. Here's another idea. This, this idea of hesed made me think of uh, a dear friend of mine uh, who had a job that he loved teaching. And, and he was a teacher and administrator in a school that he loved with a life that he loved. And through what I only know to call a real move of the spirit, he set all of that aside to take on a new assignment in a new school that's exclusively for troubled and traumatized kids. Uh, it's a job that costs him more. It costs him more time than he used before. It costs him more energy, uh, more emotion, more of all the good stuff that makes him him. It, it costs him more of that. But the loving kindness of God in his life, it couldn't help but overflow into a dream of how to respond to kids in trauma from an academic perspective. And so he showed up at a new school because the grace of God compelled him to. Sometimes the hesed of God dares us to take what we know will be a harder or more difficult path in order to fill the world with more uh, loving kindness, with more of heaven on the earth. I want to close up uh, with a quote from Michael Card that I I quoted his book earlier, and then we'll just spend some time reflecting in that moment. So uh, here's what he says. He says, in the Hebrew mind, hesed is always something you do. It's a verb. It is loading wounded people on donkeys, running to greet uh, runaway children, forgiving enormous debts, paying someone who worked an hour as much as the ones who worked all day, giving a party for those who can't pay you back. It is a resonant response to the overwhelming kindness of God who is full of hesed. It is a resonant response to the overwhelming kindness of God who is full of hesed. So let's 
let's pause here. Let's take a moment here. Um, we do this every week. It's just a quiet moment to not move on too quickly. Daniel's going to come up and, and we'll have some verses on the screen. But I have two questions for you just to think about in the next couple moments. Uh, the first one, uh, where have you seen or experienced the hesed of God in your life? The more than enoughness of the loving kindness of God in your life lately. Maybe think over the weekend, the last week. You can go further than that if you need to. But where lately have you seen this? Uh, where can you take a few steps back and see uh, mercy where mercy made no sense? Or compassion when you needed it most? Or a loyalty that will never leave you or forsake you? Where have you seen the hesed of God? Second question. Where might the Holy Spirit be inviting you to put that hesed into action in the world? Uh, not as a way to like impress God or strive to earn something he's already freely given you, but uh, where does the Spirit want to maybe like baptize you and overflow you with God's loving kindness so that you can overflow out uh, into the world? Um, some of you maybe relate more to the wilderness uh, part of Ruth. Uh, you are in the wilderness of anxiety, fear. Uh, maybe it's like money troubles, famine, uh, infertility, death. Fill, fill in your own blanks. Um, and I see that and I do not in any way want to minimize uh, what the wilderness looks like. But I also want to note that so were Ruth and Naomi. They were in the wilderness, and yet loving kindness could still fill them, and it could still overflow out of them. And I just believe that God will do that for us. Um, and I, I think that there was still a curious mercy that led uh, Ruth and that led Naomi. And, and so I just think that the Spirit has more loving kindness for all of us, no matter where we are. So let's pray. Uh, where have you seen the hesed of God, and, and where does the Holy Spirit want to fill you with it in order for you to give it back?